What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Filmography is back, and just in time for Halloween season, we're taking a deep dive into the master of horror, John Carpenter. Starting September 27th, host Dominic Suzanne Mayer and a rotating panel of guests will break down each of Carpenter's 20 feature-length movies to date, with new episodes every Thursday. Grab your synthesizer, your flares, and your best Shatner mask, and come along on this latest journey with us. Consequence Podcast Network. To all of you delightful pod people out there, I'm your host, Leo Phillips, and welcome to This Must Be the Gig, your little backstage pass to the world of live music. Each and every week, I bring you a fascinating conversation from the beating heart of the live music and performance world, which could really mean me chatting to a musician, a festival founder, a comedian, an actor, choreographer, really anyone obsessed with performance in the way that we are. But before we dig into this week's fantastic interview, let's check in with our constant companion here at the TMBTG studios, Adam. Hello! Hey! What's going on? It has been a huge day in the world of tour announcements. Have you been following this? So many things. Well, not clearly as well as you have. <laughs> in the last 24 hours, let's count it down. I've got I've got a list I wrote down. Yeah, Are you ready? go for it. So we've got Connor Oberst and Phoebe Bridgers, Better Oblivion <gasps> Community Center. They're coming in March, I think, to Chicago. Chicago. Uh-huh. You've got Bon Iver. You've got Tame Impala, Jim James, Lizzo, oh, Lizzo. Avi Tear, Iron and Wine, Superorganism, former guests on the show, Josh Ritter. We have a Madison Square Garden performance from Vampire Weekend. We've got a few dates from Charlotte Gainsbourg. Who's wonderful live. I loved her album from last year. It might be the coldest day in Chicago history as this podcast drops, but those tour date announcements have to make you feel a little warm and fuzzy on the inside, right? No, they do not. No? Nothing can get through the cracked skin knuckle skin (laughs) that I'm currently experiencing. It's an illusion. I feel like they all of the what they are doing is they're trying to make us feel better smoke and mirrors hollywood music industry (laughs) but do you know that it's colder here than it is currently in siberia antarctica too i believe i don't know how i'm supposed to handle this and you know what the worst thing about the cold is is that every time somebody speaks about how uh, cold it is or how hot it is or the weather in general it is so boring (laughs) it is as boring as cabbage 
cabbage is green. It's good for you, but it's hella boring. I and like cabbage. But so do I. Me? But it's boring. I don't like being told that I can get frostbite in 10 minutes, but I'll eat your cabbage. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to go outside. I'm not going to go outside. But And so I feel really bad for all the people that I ripped off for the last few years for saying that it was too cold. Because I get it now. You've, you've my lived my bones it. are screaming. Yeah, <laughs> my bones are screaming. They're screaming more cabbage. No, they are screaming. I hate you. Put me in a vat of soup. <laughs> cabbage soup. Yeah, I'm gonna keep going back to this because yeah, it's fun. It's fine. It's fine. But maybe this will help. Picture this. Nothing. Picture this. Gloves, scarf, blanket. The weekend of May 10th. Already sounding a little warmer, right? Mm-hmm. Miami, Florida, sounding a little bit warmer still. They just announced the lineup for Rolling Loud Festival in Miami. Travis Scott, Kid Cudi, Cardi B, Young Thug, Lil Uzi Vert, Migos. This sounds like fun and sun. I tell you what sounds fun. Our guest from this week. That's true, too. He's a we, bright ray of sunshine. He is. We have the incomparable Colin Blundstone of the legendary British Invasion Act, the Zombies. The Zombies. How cool is that? These are the zombies who are about to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, as just announced. These are the zombies behind Odyssey and Oracle, songs like Time of the Season, She's Not There, This Will Be Our Year. Some really amazing songs, and I loved this chat. It was really amazing to hear you talk with Colin about the very first zombies shows, as well as some of the really crazy details about what it was like in the midst of the biggest boom of British rock of all time. I think my favorite, one of my favorite parts, because there are so there are so many different little moments in in this where I was trying to scribble down little notes of takeaways as we were chatting because I couldn't imagine forgetting any of the moments, even though obviously it's immortalized in podcast form. But it was just amazing because when he said we're just a band who wanted to boogie, boogie. That was great yeah, because that's really band. that's really true. And his story of obviously being asked to perform while sitting on a ladder, and his story of performing on TV for the first time and what that experience entailed, and also his philosophy of compartmentalization, which I found really fascinating. Uh, it's kind of the quintessential moment of an artist's life when they choose between feeling really low and still performing and doing their best. Or letting everything and everyone overcome them and overcome their senses. And he really found a sense of peace and focus as a performer. Even if terrible things were were happening and bandmates passing away, which they did. And we chat through that and he is... We chat through that and he is really candid about it, which makes it seem easy to understand what an artist of his level and someone who's been around for so long, what they go through. And I love also you talk about what the zombies will be doing at the Hall of Fame ceremony, which Mm -hmm. is exciting. We're not telling you anything now. He also talks about getting to see an impromptu Stevie Wonder concert, which I am so jealous of. And also that he got to see the Beatles and what it was like to not be able to hear their music over all the screaming, which is like you hear that legend all the time, but apparently it was true. He was there. So Colin is currently out on a solo tour. So hop out and check him out when he stops in your city. Find out more on colinblundstone.com. He also gives a little bit of info in this chat about a forthcoming Zombies album. So stay on the lookout for that. And then, of course, the Zombies will officially be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on March 29th alongside our faves, Stevie Nicks, Radiohead, The Cure, Janet Jackson, Roxy Music, and Def Leppard. That is an incredible lineup. Mm-hmm. You know what's even more incredible? Leaving us a note about how great the show is on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at TMBTGPod. Also, please rate and review and share on Apple Podcasts or wherever you go to listen to your podcast. Leave a five-star rating and a review, and we'll shout you out here on the show. But let us not be delayed or frozen <laughs> in time this is me and colin enjoy when the zombies started 
we all went to school, though we didn't live in this particular small city called St. Albans, we all went to school there, and that's the connection, that's how we got together. So I have moved, but just not very far. Yes. Um, although they do say that it's very, very difficult for Londoners to move from the north of the Thames to the south of the Thames, and that's what I've done. <laughs> I've, I've moved from northeast to, um, well, no, northwest, really, to southwest. Why do, you, why do they say that it's difficult for, for Londoners well, to move? Well, I mean, it's, in some ways, it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. It's a little bit of a joke. Because <laughs> they're the just posh. totally different, <laughs> they're different cultures, you know, yes. north and south. And it's funny, because I'm a real deserter. When I go over the, a bridge, you know, I mean, there are many bridges over the Thames, but when I go over a bridge to south of the Thames, I, I feel good. I feel better, you know. Yeah. It's sort of a, a sigh of relief as I go yeah. over the bridge. But that's not, this is not where I was born. I, I, as I said, you know, I was born north of the river. But we've all, we've all spread all over the place now. Um, from the original zombies, Rod Argent lives another hour south of me oh. in, in a county called um, Hampshire. Mm. Um, Chris White lives right in town in Elephant and Castle. Uh, Hugh Grundy, our drummer, lives in Minorca, which is the smaller island of Mallorca. It's Minorca, and and Paul Paul um, Paul Atkinson, he did that. He moved to L.A. Actually, he was in California, but sadly he died uh, about nine or ten years ago. Yeah. So, um, so you know, Paul's no longer with us, and the other original members of the original band were still in contact constantly. But we've moved all over the place, you know, we're yeah. not still in that same town. We actually went back and played on the weekend in St. Albans. They have an arena there. Oh, wow. And we, we sold out the arena because another, it's a sort of a sign of the times as, we, as we're getting older. <laughs> I call this this incarnation of the zombies. It's been together for 20 years now. Wow. And our bass player was a wonderful bass player who played with the Kinks and the mm. Animals oh, and Argent. And he was called Jim Rodford, and sadly he died a year ago. And we honoured Jim Rodford in St Albans on Sunday night. We played Aww. a sold-out concert for him, and all the original surviving members got together and played a couple of songs at the end of the concert. So That's we still wonderful. meet up. Yeah, and especially also paying homage to members who meant so much to you as well. I feel like there's no better way to celebrate their life than through the one thing that they loved so much, the one thing that really brought you together in the first place. So, Well, absolutely. I mean, on, on Sunday, that, that's what I said to the audience. I said, we're, we're honoring Jim Rodford in the best way we know how and with every word we sing and every note we play will we'll be for Jim. And it was a wonderful evening. A lot of his family were there, and he's a, he's a very, very well-known musician. Yes. He's respected throughout the world. And um, his two granddaughters and his son have got a, a, a sort of a folk, a folk rock group, and they opened for us. Oh, and then wow. one, of his, one of his other sons plays... Is the drummer in the zombies? Oh, okay. There were a lot of family members there, and of course his wife was there, and all his other children, and it, it was a wonderful. It was a very emotional evening. I'm sure. But it was a wonderful evening. Um, you know, you see uh, artists uh, really playing uh, music that their you know fans love, but all in all, you're also having to remember. I mean, he's. His career spanned six decades, so you also have to remember all the work that he did and everything. And it's, it's. I'm sure it got really heavy as well. Just it can get emotional. Yeah. But what I think you have to do, it comes up quite often as an artist. You have to compartmentalise things, and for for the time between, I can't remember what time we run on stage, like nine o'clock to eleven o'clock, or half past eight to half past ten. We were performers, and we were putting on the best show we possibly could. And it was as straightforward as that. Before the show and after the show, then, of course, we can 
we can show our emotions, but while we're playing, we have to do the best we can. That's so interesting that you said that as well, because I feel like a lot of people who are not uh, in the industry or artists themselves or, you know, affiliated with the music industry as such, they forget that they're... You know, you you are real, you have real things happening to you, and yet you still have to suck it up and, as you said, compartmentalize and really get into the zone and focus and be that artist for the couple of hours every night and forget about your your things. Have you always been like that all through your career? Have you always been able to almost not switch it off and switch it on, but uh, very focused? Well, I uh, personally, I have to be. Um... And, and, you know, for an hour before the show, I, I, most of the people I work with, we like to be quiet for the hour before the show. So oh. I, I, if you come into our dressing room mm. an hour before the show, you'll find probably half the band are asleep <laughs> and the other half are reading. Yeah. And I know it often, it really surprises people. I, I can remember instances where promoters will crash into the dressing room with all their friends yes. thinking there'll be some kind of party going on <laughs> and I, I, right now I'm thinking of one particular instance a promoter crashed into the dressing room with seven or eight people and literally half the band were asleep and <laughs> the rest were reading that's wonderful, yeah that's amazing, like he's walking you have to, to be quiet, just, just get yourself to, focused and, and ready for what you're going to do and um, and even afterwards, I'm not a great one for partying afterwards either because, you know, as you get older, you always remember that you've got another show tomorrow night. So, and as you get older, you've got to try and look after yourself a bit yeah. better because that, that is, there's a, that's the only difference between playing now and playing when I was 18 and 19 is that I, I, um, I have to... Uh, just look after myself a bit better, you know, have to plan my life out a bit better than I did when I was 18 and 19. You, you know, I could do what I wanted to do then and I was fine. But now, um, I always say that at the end of a show, there's a stampede for the band to get back to the hotel yes. to get to bed, you know. <laughs> to get Whereas to bed. before, when we were young, everybody wanted to go to a party and yeah. and um, have, you know, have fun. But I feel like the times are changing, though, as such. I read this amazing article. I can't uh, quote it. I feel terrible for not being able to quote the exact title. But it was along the lines of the celebrity, uh, the man who does all celebrities' laundry. And speaking about tour laundry and how when he was younger in the industry, he was finding drugs in pockets. And now he oh, yeah. finds, like, herbal tea bags and, you know, <laughs> and all things that, like, are part of this eclectic, holistic age, you know. And I think that this mm. is just great. Like, I feel like people are really much more aware of their health and their wellness and knowing that their mental health can really... Uh, make an, a, a substantive impact on their work. So well, I think it's absolutely. great. I think it's so fun. So who were you then when you were younger? What what did you do straight after a show? Did you just want to carry well, on the night? Well, I used to sometimes joke that um, the evening began when the show ended. Yeah. So that <laughs> the, the band would want to boogie after the show. Of course, they were, they were young men. They wanted to go out and, and paint the town. Um, but it is different now. And I suppose mostly we work with artists from classic bands. You know, we not always, not always. And so we'll be working with people that are probably have got the same kind of schedule as us in that, you know, they, they want to eat well and they want to make sure they get enough sleep um, to keep them fit. So, so that they can perform. Yeah. Did you ever feel though, when you were younger? Because obviously, you you know, you the band was, as you mentioned, founded when you were all very young and at school. But did you did you remember when you first started out? How seeing and performing with other bands did that affect the way that you were in the industry as well? Because I always feel like not peer pressure as such, but you feed off that energy of, of creativity and being around bands when you are younger and coming up in an industry, you're much more impressionable. So were there any bands around you that you really thought like, oh, 
this is this is this is the life that I want. This is this is where I want to go. Nothing comes to mind to be absolutely honest. Yeah. Because the, certainly the original zombies, we on the road it wasn't particularly glamorous. Even when we were playing with bigger artists, and we never played with. Well, yeah, we did play with some big artists, but then often as the artists got bigger, you might not travel with them. You would you would do the show with them. So I can't say no. I, I that we were particularly influenced in our off-stage behaviour yeah. by other bands. So you're just saying you guys were all crazy from the inside, yeah? I, I think so. I think my, um, I was just 19 when we became professional musicians. So wow. I went from just living in a in a quiet little suburb to traveling the world with my with my pals, playing the music I loved, and at one of the most exciting times to be a British musician that there's ever been. So of course it was a crazy time, and and we joined in, although. I remember the 60s as being, it was crazy when you compare it to the austerity of the 50s and the very early 60s. Mm. But there still was a naivety, I think, about the 60s. Um, things sort of hotted up a bit in the 70s, maybe right at the end of the 60s and into the 70s. Things got a, a little bit more crazy. Um, and I actually came off the road in about 73 uh, and so probably I didn't even see the worst excesses. So I'm 73, I was concentrating on writing and recording and, and getting a little bit into jingles and commercials and things like that. And I, I didn't go back on the road full time until, it, it, it's, it astounds me to think about it now, until 97. Oh, wow. And by then, yeah. everything had changed. So there was a huge, huge gap from 73 to 97, 73, 83, 24 years until I started playing regularly again. When you were first starting out, you mentioned you were 19. I feel like also a 19-year-old uh, when you were 19 is not the same as a 19-year-old in 2019. You know, the, the, the times have changed is such that obviously kids are getting so much older so much quicker you know, you speak to like an eleven-year-old now, and they can teach you a thing or two. But you know, I know. when I, I was eleven, I could. True. You know, I was. But do, was there when you were younger? Was there a concert or a performance that you had seen uh, that you know that early in life that really inspired you to want to be a musician? Was there that one show that you attended when you were younger that really had that impact on you in in terms of visualizing yourself as a musician? Well, I never dared to think that I could be involved in a professional band. It just oh. seemed, from where, where I came from, you know, I came from a country town where no one had ever, I, I didn't know anyone who'd ever been in a professional band. Yeah. It just seemed like um, a dream. It, I, I'll answer your other question in a minute, but just yes. let me say that we won a big rock competition in, in early 1964, and Although it was based where we lived, uh, bands came from all over the country, and it was sponsored by a, a, a major London newspaper. And it was, it was quite something. I think there were 10 bands every week, and it went on for about 10 weeks, and it was in a big, uh, for us, a, a big town hall. It, it had, you know, took 2,000 people. And so 10 bands a week, and for 10 weeks, there were 100 bands, and we won it. Wow. And... Either directly, we all disagree on whether it was directly or indirectly. <laughs> okay. It led to a recording contract with Decca Records. But when we won that competition, we all just sounded one another out. We were all feeling the same way. Maybe we could be professional musicians, whatever wow. that meant yes. in those days. Yeah. We, bought, we bought an old truck before we had a hit record. And we were just going to go off and play whatever gigs we could get. I, I don't, there was no master plan, but it happened. We, we, we recorded 
one session for Decca Records, and in that session was the song She's Not There, and it was a worldwide wow. hit. Yes. And so our lives were changed forever. That was just, yeah, of, three years into being a band, wasn't it? It wasn't, or two years, it wasn't, it wasn't long before you formed that you recorded and released She's Not There. Yeah, we got yeah. together in 61. Yes. Um, we didn't play our first kit. We had no instruments. Oh, well, we had a couple of guitars. We didn't have any drums or yes. any amplifiers or anything. So it took us a year to play our first gig. We had to save money. We had to rehearse as much as we could. And so we didn't play until 62. Wow, and then okay. we slowly but surely started to build up a local following. Um, but it, it, it took time. Um, Where is that van now? The van that you bought back, back when you first van, started? <laughs> I'm sure it's in pieces. It's, it's pretty much in pieces when we bought it. Yeah. It was dreadful. <laughs> it had big sliding doors yeah. down the side of it, mm. and they always came off the runners <laughs> so that there were huge drafts blowing in <gasps> all the time. Oh and God. when we traveled, this is the, the glory of being in a hit band. Yeah. We traveled inside sleeping bags because <laughs> it was so cold <laughs> that we had to... <laughs> it was ridiculous. And we had a manager who was absolutely hopeless yeah and so one of the main reasons that the band split in 1967 was that the non-writers and the publishing was a totally different income stream the two main writers rod argent and chris white were financially they were quite secure but the three non-writers were absolutely broke and that's one of the main reasons the band finished in 67 mm. but going back to your question yes. about bands that inspired and influenced in the first place it was the the rock gods the people who started the whole thing elvis mm. and chuck berry and little richard in particular oh, i never wow. saw any of them play but they were the people that really inspired me um and you know i was only about 11 10 or 11 years old later on there was buddy holly the Everly Brothers, oh. Ricky Nelson, mm. and then, of course, the Beatles, and they changed everything. And two concerts that I remember seeing um, in the early 60s, we were fortunate enough to see the Stones play oh, wow. in a small club in London called, it's not there anymore, but it was called Studio 51. Mm -hmm. It's just off Leicester Square. And it was really, really small. It was packed. And they performed sitting on stools because they took their inspiration from the blues greats. So they weren't going to be dancing around like Jagger does now. Yes. Um, but they were absolutely fabulous. Uh, just breathtaking. Um, How many people do you bug? think were, were at that show? How many people do you think attended that Stones show in, in, uh, in London? I would think maybe two or three hundred. Wow. Because it was a very, very small club. Yes. It was packed. You couldn't move, oh, but wow. it, it wouldn't have been much more than that. Yeah. And then later on, I saw the Beatles. <gasps> they had had a couple of hits by then. They were wonderful. It was slightly more challenging because there was a lot of screaming. Yeah, um, <laughs> I can imagine. I could hear that they were great, but it, it, it was a little bit more challenging because of the audience reaction to them. And of course... The Beatles changed everything for all British artists because before them, there was no great appetite for British bands around the world. But after the Beatles, uh, you know, everybody in every country around the world was interested in British bands, which was absolutely wonderful for us. Uh, and we were part of what they call the first wave of the British invasion. Yes, so the we, UK invasion. Yeah. It wasn't planned. It just happened. Um, we, we actually came at Christmas 1964, and we had the national number one record in cash box. We were number one Christmas week 1964 with She's Not There. So it was wow. a great way to start our career touring in the States to, to come over with the national number one record. I can imagine. Did it feel like you and the other bands that were part of that British and UK, the UK invasion, do you feel like you were part of the community then already? Do you feel, did you feel accepted already by everybody just because you were getting that attention? Or did you still feel like there was a lot more work 
to be done and you just wanted to keep going? Well, uh, as, as a band, the zombies have always concentrated on the future. And of course, you know, we have, it's part of the job that we have to talk about the past. But our main yes. energy has always gone into the future. We're planning a new album now. I mean, oh, you yes. know, we're in our 70s. Yeah. But we're writing uh, a new album right now. And we will be recording through this year. Yeah, and so That's our main wonderful. energy goes into that. And, and at the time, we weren't spending too much time thinking about what we were doing then. We were always thinking about what we're going to be doing next. But one thing that does intrigue me is that people now see the British invasion as a sort of part of a social movement. But I didn't feel it at the time. I just thought that we were a gigging band. Mm. And promoters asked us to go and play and, you know, various concert halls. And we turned up and we played to the best of our ability. And it was, for me, it was quite a, a simple equation. You yeah, know, we it got seems a so. To play and we went yes, and we played, and you went to the, played. Best, <laughs> the best of our ability. But it, did you all, were you always like that, even as a young child, just being very adaptable and confident that whatever you were doing, you were just going to do it and you know, get through it. Because obviously my, my, what I'm wondering is about the first performance that you ever played and how you were right before that, you know, never being up in front of public, uh, never had played before, not much experience with it. What, what was that first time like? Do you remember it at all? Well, I remember in general terms and I I don't think I am a particularly confident person okay. uh, in, in social yes. circumstances, you know, but a lot of artists aren't. Um, I joined the band to be the rhythm guitarist. My idea was that I would stand at the back of the stage and I would look at my shoes and hopefully <laughs> no one would notice me. <laughs> but yeah. in the first rehearsal, we, Rod Argent was going to be the lead singer. And in the first rehearsal, we had a break, a coffee break. We played um, an instrumental song called Malaguena. So as Rod was the lead singer, he hadn't actually done anything um, up until that point. And we, we had a coffee break, and he went over. There's a broken-down old piano in the corner. And he, I remember very clearly, he played Nut Rocker by Bee Bumble and the Stingers, which was a hit at that time. Yes. And it's a rock and roll version of a classical piece. And his musicality was so far in advance of us. I'd only just met him, but I said to him, Rod, you really should be in the band. But he saw it as a rock band and he wanted three guitars. He did, it wasn't fashionable to have a keyboard player in the and he said, I don't think it's appropriate. Then at the end of the first rehearsal, I just happened to sing to myself in a corner as I was putting my guitar away. I sang a little bit of a song. And Rod heard me, and he said, I know it was a Ricky Nelson song, but I don't know, I can't remember what song. Yes. And he said to me, if, you will be, if you'll be the lead singer, I'll play keyboards and that is how the zombies came together. It was never my intention to be the lead singer. Mm. I thought mm. I was being very bold, just being... Just being there. On the stage, <laughs> standing at the back. <laughs> Looking at your my shoes. Guitar. <laughs> and, and I got promoted on the first rehearsal sort of thing. Wow. And, and that's how it came about. And, and then I think it seemed quite natural to me when we were playing as amateurs. The first time I remember any kind of performance anxiety was actually when we had a hit record and suddenly, you know, I did feel the pressure was on. And I think from the summer of 64, I did have to adapt a bit because uh, I didn't have any stage training. You know, I, it was all very new to me. And I, I think most people have to do the same thing. You have to f find a way to be able to cope with it because suddenly we went from playing at local dances to playing on national TV and it did sort of happen yeah, overnight. Yeah, so how did, you, how did you combat that? How did you, was it just practice or did you... Um... I think to a large extent it's practice really. Um, 
you 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 just do it. I mean, everyone's the same, really. If you've got to do something, you do it. Well, I guess you do it or you don't do it. And That's this true. Is, this has been a short career, wouldn't it? Yes. But what was it like then, you know, going from obviously things happening just so organically and naturally, what was it like then the first time, I know that we spoke previously about She's Not There, but what was it like then the first time you heard the song on the radio? Because you had been a fan before you became famous. So Absolutely. how was it... How was it listening to your song on that radio? Well, it was slightly unreal, but incredibly exciting. Um, and that song became a hit very quickly. And in some ways, I think it gave us... You know, the young have got a sort of a confidence because they haven't had the knock. <laughs> yes. And it gave us a sort of a false confidence, I thought, because I think because um, if you can imagine, we... We made a record, it came out, it was a hit. And you think, oh, this is quite good fun. <laughs> I mean, we should do this again. And then, of course, the truth gradually dawns on you that it doesn't always work that way. But, but one thing I remember about She's Not There, there was a TV program yes. in the UK at the time yeah. called Duke, Jukebox Jury. It was on every Saturday afternoon, and four panellists, would listen to some of the new... It was, um, it's only on for half an hour or so, but they would listen to some of the new releases that week. And one of the panellists on this particular week was George Harrison from the Beatles. Oh, wow. <laughs> and they played oh our record, She's Not There. And I watched the television when George Harrison said he thought it was a really good record. Uh, I think he said, well done, zombies, but in a <laughs> Liverpool accent. I can't do a Liverpool accent, but... Do it! I Try. really remember that. And not only was that incredibly exciting for us as individuals, but his endorsement really guaranteed it would be a hit as well. So that was a, an incredible experience. That's the first sure. time I heard it on TV. Yeah. One of the first times we performed on TV, yes. I think actually it might have been the second time, but uh, we were on uh, Ready, Steady, Go. Mm -hmm. And from memory, we were miming. They were always changing the system. We, we played live on Ready, Steady, Go many times, but this time we were miming. Um, we played She's Not There, and they chose another song, um, Gershwin's Summertime, which we'd recorded. And... Um, they thought it would make a good camera shot if I was at the top of a very tall ladder. Oh, OK. And at the time, if there's two things that made me feel a little apprehensive, yes. it was live TV <laughs> and height. I'll always remember that. Because <laughs> I got cameras, you know, zooming yes. in at me. I'm thinking, this is going out all over the country. And on top of that, I was sitting on the top of a, a great big ladder not a ladder that leans against a building yes a ladder that's like a triangle like an you know what i mean yes yeah a step ladder yes but it was um about 18 or 20 feet high oh my gosh why did they and, want uh, you on a ladder just because visually back then obviously it would have looked like crazy and visually exciting you know okay. i mean I was at least I was sitting on the top i they wasn't weren't expecting me to dance to or dance. something um <laughs> But I do remember that, Ready, Steady, Go, that was on a Friday night, and the first time we did it, yeah, I was at the top of a great big stepladder. Did you, was there any requests similar to that that you've gotten, that you, that you had uh, over the years that you just thought, like, this is just, this is nuts, I don't want to do this, I don't want to be like a monkey and, you know, play for well, the crowd? I, I, there were lots of um, requests in those days maybe in TV shows, but also just from photographers, they liked you to sort of jump up and down and pull faces. Yes. And you generally looked like a, a complete idiot, yeah. which we weren't too keen on. And as soon as we got the confidence to um, stand our ground, then we stopped doing that sort of thing. <laughs> So no face, no face pulling now. You don't, you don't pull any faces right, now. No, I try not to face pull now. Um, <laughs> I try to avoid having my photo taken now if I yeah. can. 
Oh no! Why is it just because you just uh, you I'm just not in passed the first that? I'm flush of youth, and I'm very well aware of it. Oh so, no! Um, but is age I, is age is uh, subjective. You know, it's how you feel. It's it's how you feel. Look at your career. It's amazing. You've got so much. As you said, you've got new material coming. I know that side of it is wonderful. Yeah. But, you know, there are many times when um, we've just had a seven-hour flight or six or seven hours in some kind of truck and people want to take photographs of you and you're probably not feeling at your most yes. bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people yeah. take photos all the time and everything goes onto Facebook and yes. all those other mediums. It's not as if they're taking pictures just for themselves. It doesn't matter. I mean, I, I'm, only, I'm laughing at the yes. same time as I'm saying it. Why should I... You know, I don't really think we've got anything left to prove, but only just to ourselves. And I, I'm not really... As long as I don't have to look at the faces, yeah, I don't look fine. at faces of myself. You're and fine. I don't look at videos uh, of myself. You know, I've, I've done my best, and that's it. Yeah. Know? Well, you're going to have to look at loads of photos this year, I'm afraid, because you have one of the biggest accolades of your, you know, career coming with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, induction and and having to, I'm sure, be there. And but I, I, I quite like I, I like what you said about people used to, you know, take photos for themselves and just have their own photo albums and show to their friends and family. And now it's really about showing to absolute strangers, just proving course, yeah. what, you, what, what you were doing. It's just like life has become just, uh, just a whole proof, a moment of proof. You know, you just need to, to show where it, you it were. Is, uh, it, it, it has changed incredibly. And, of course, we're all re- really, really excited about the... Uh, induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of oh, Fame. Congratulations. In the first place, you know, uh, our, our incredibly loyal fan base voted, I think it was 328, 328,000, is that right? Is that the right way of saying it? Yeah. So it's not 100,000, it's not 200,000, it's not 300,000, it's 328,000. Wow. Votes. Wow. But that is absolutely mind-boggling so in the fan vote first of all i was really thrilled that we got those votes and then of course the members of the rock hall voted for us to be inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame and all artists want uh, peer group acceptance you know to be to be noticed and appreciated by your fellow musicians it's 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 what all musicians long for. And uh, so I feel that, to some extent, it kind of validates what we've been doing over the years. It shows that we've been noticed and we've been appreciated. And um, in that respect, I just, I just think it's a wonderful honor. It's phenomenal as well that you sound so uh, genuinely surprised as well, which I think is exactly why you were nominated by your fans because that humility is really important in everything that you do, considering who you are and what movement you were a part of, even if you feel like well, you weren't part of the well, movement. You know, so All I can say is, you know, the music business, I always say the music business is a business of peaks and troughs. There have been a few troughs in my career, (laughs) and I can remember them vividly. So I'm never going to get carried away with the successes and, Mm. and, you know, the wonderful occasions. And they make it all worthwhile. Of course they do. But I can remember vividly the, the days when the career was a bit of a struggle. I remember it very well. And... It, the music business is that kind of business where, you know, success is given to you and success can equally well be taken away. So I, I'm i always fascinated by people who get carried away with a bit of success. I hope that they don't get too disappointed um, later in their careers because most people will have big disappointments in the, the music industry and you've got to be resilient. You've got to be able to overcome those disappointments and I find it easier to stay in a sort of a middle line Mm. 
so I don't get too carried away with the successes, and that way I can stay strong if and when um, one's career takes a bit of a dive. Mm. But how do you think then that you'll handle the emotions of playing such a impactful and uh, vital moment in your career? How do you feel you're going to go into it? Well, I mean, that's part of being a professional musician. Um, I often use the word compartmentalizing. Yes. And, you know, I, I think, did we talk about that earlier on? Yes, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. That, it's the same thing, you know. In a way, there's a job to be done. And, you know, we can, of course, we can celebrate afterwards. We can celebrate before. But for the actual induction, there's a job to be done, and we have to focus. And we we just have to be professional musicians and get on stage and perform. It's it's such a moving idea. I feel like compartmentalizing anything in this day and age as well just so that you don't feel so bogged down. I feel like a lot of people are feeling so heavy from politics and society and the rate that things are changing. Um, so just to be a professional, is it's really inspiring to hear that that's how you overcome it. It's, it's quite, yeah, it's quite amazing. But do you have any plans for your performance? Any, any surprises that you want to share with me that you're going to be well, uh, doing? Well, to be absolutely honest... Um, we haven't been told an awful lot yes. of the details about the day. Okay. I'm led to believe that it will feature the original members, wow. the surviving original members, mm. uh, the surviving original members of the band. Um, and I'm led to believe we'll play three songs. Oh, okay. Um, and I think there will be a short speech afterwards. Yes. But mostly, it'll be one person making a speech, and maybe the others just say a word. Mm, mm. That, that's about all I know, really. Um, but one of the advantages of having been in this business for such a long time, you know, we can adapt very quickly. Yes. And they could, they could tell us what they're expecting from us half an hour before we go on, and we would be able to adapt. Mm. But that, that, I'm sure it's true of the other... Um, acts that are going to be in the induction as well. It's one of the advantages of having been in the business so long. Do you know what you would want to sing versus what you feel the crowd and the and the committee would would like you to sing? Are there any songs that you really were close to um, and well, are still I, close I to? Think, and you know, this could be Chinese whispers. I might not have got this correct. <laughs> yes, but. I believe we've been asked to sing She's Not There, This Will Be Our Year, which is on the album Odyssey and Oracle, yes. and Time of the Season. Oh, wow. I think, I think that's what we've been asked to sing. But, you know, it's everything's it's changeable. It Absolutely. Could, it could be something else. But if it's that, that's fine. Oh, that's fine by me. And the first, She's Not There and Time of the Season were huge hits. And they've also more recently been used in commercials and in films. And I know she's not there. It was used in a Chanel commercial about yes. a year ago. Yeah. And time of the season was. It was used in a commercial in America, and I can't remember. It's for a restaurant just before Christmas, a, a chain of restaurants, and it was also in a film on the life of John Paul Getty, which I think was called All the Money in the World. Uh, time of the season was in that. It's an interesting song. Yeah, that one charted, I remember reading about it a while ago, that one charted, I believe, I don't want to tell you the facts, but I believe that it charted in the US and Canada and Australia and also even where I'm from in South Africa, it charted there as well, but it didn't in the UK, which is really interesting. I uh, know, and I think it's been released at least three times in yeah. the UK. And it never charted here. But what it's was it? Like, that's so crazy. What was it like to have differing uh, audience tastes in different parts of the world? Did that affect, uh, well, you I know? Mean, it, that, that happens more often than you might think. Yes. That, and one of the things that when you're touring, it really pays to talk to the promoters to find out what songs the audiences in that particular territory are familiar with. Because it may not be the ones that you're used to. But yeah. 
What is particularly interesting about time of the season is that we live in the UK. We're a UK band. (laughs) And this is one of the only countries where it wasn't a hit. No, I I don't understand. I can't explain that. I can't explain it. But there are a lot of things with the zombies that it's a little bit mystifying. Their last album, Odyssey and Oracle, was largely ignored when it was released in, in 67 or 68. Yes. And then year on year, it just sold more and more. And people like Tom Petty in the States and in the UK, Paul Weller, have just uh, supported it so much. Paul Weller still will tell people it's his favorite album of all time. Mm, Paul Weller is incredible. Yeah, he's an amazing artist. Uh, he certainly is. And there are so many wonderful artists who have named the Zombies, and in particular the album Odyssey and Oracle, as a major influence in their careers. And it's it led to Odyssey and Oracle year on year selling more and more, and it sells far more now than it ever sold when it first came out. That's and I can't crazy. believe it. It's 50 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's 50 it's years cr- ago. I love, though, that's, that's what I love about it, is that you make something in this time capsule and in this moment, and it just has these legs that flow and follow through your life, and they can you can find them at every different phase you know the parent heard it somewhere and then passes that down to the child who then passes it to their friends and uh, it's just an amazing music discovery for me is such a fascinating concept it's it's just incredible Well, i absolutely agree with you and 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 often at the time you don't know what songs um, are going to stand the test of time it that's what a song has to has to that's how a song has to prove itself it's the test of time, and there's no shortcuts. You just have to wait and see. Um, and, and Time of the Season is one of those songs that has stood the test of time. And also I read about, um, I don't know if this is right, but I, I, ages ago there was a story about the different fake zombie acts, zombies acts that uh, toured yes. on your band songs, which is just mind-blowing to think that that was even something that somebody would think of doing. Well, I think it was, it was a lot easier than with, with before the internet. You know, yes. people, the world was a bigger place and people didn't realize what was going on in different countries. But I knew of at least three zombie bands that oh were appearing in the States in the late 60s because we, we weren't active. We had a huge number one record in time of the season, and there was no zombie band. And so these guys thought they would fill the void, and um, that's what they did. But what was your reaction when you first learned about it? Because it's not, it's obviously you don't want to take things personally, you know, it's quite, it's quite a nice ego boost, somebody taking your songs and, uh, you know, manifesting them in their own way. But what was your reaction when you first found out? Well, I think I was a little bit shocked. But I, I, I didn't have strong feelings one way or the other, really. Yeah. And it all comes back to being concerned about, what, about the future and not the past. Yes. Um, you know, I, I thought it was a little bit strange. Yeah. And I just hope that people weren't being shortchanged and that audiences would go expecting to see us. My concern is more with the audiences than with Absolutely. the band, you know. I, I just hope that people weren't being shortchanged. Um, as far as the bands, I didn't really have any strong feelings about it. Um, you know, I was concerned with, with what was the next project for me and for the people I was working with. I know that you played in Brooklyn uh, not long after uh, the Marry the K uh, Christmas shows, and I've read that you were obviously performing up to could be, you know, seven times a day. Is that true? And, and what? how come you were performing so many times a day? And how did you, how did well, you survive? Well, that was the way shows were in those days. Um, yes. Murray the K, he would have a Christmas show. I, he, he was um, a very uh, powerful DJ. He called himself the Fifth Beatle. I don't know if the Beatles would ever acknowledge him <laughs> as the Fifth Beatle. But he was a very powerful DJ. And he had a Christmas show. I think he might have had an Easter one as well. I don't know about summer, but I only really know about the Christmas one. And in those days, 
shows very often would have 15 or 16 acts on the show, and they would basically just sing their hit record, or maybe two, two songs. And so if you had 15 people playing two songs, sorry, if you have 15 acts playing two songs, you know, that, that makes up a whole show. And so what they used to do, I think the first show was about 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, it was at the Brooklyn Fox, and uh, people could come at 8 o'clock. And in theory, they didn't have to leave. They could stay. And everyone would play their two songs. And then from memory, I think they showed a short film. And then everyone played again. So wow. it wasn't as if we were playing for an hour and yes. a half. okay. Eight times. Eight we times, were, <laughs> okay. Sometimes we only played one song. Right. Sometimes I think we played two. It wasn't, you know, whatever they asked us to play. And that's just how shows were organized at that time. The next time we came over, we came over on a, a Dick Clark Caravan of Stars, another very powerful DJ who, mm. who had a TV program. Um... American Bandstand was his uh, TV program, ran for years and years and years. And on the Dick, Lang, uh, Dick Clark Caravan of Stars, again, he had about 15 acts that would yeah. travel around on a, on a bus, and we would sing a couple of songs. On, on our tour, uh, when we did the Dick Clark thing, um, it was Del Shannon, Tommy Rowe, um, the Adlibs, the Shangri-Las, uh, uh, um, the Iquettes, the Velvetlets and, and so on, you know, probably about 15 acts. Wow. When we played the Murray the K show in New York, it was, uh, again, the Shangri-Las, um, the Shirelles, uh, Benny King, Chuck Jackson, Dionne Warwick, or Dionne Warwick, I think one would say in America. Yeah. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful artists. Mm, wow, that I was just naming, just listening to you name some of them. That must have been, especially being a part of that uh, feeling of you are a foreigner and people were accepting your band and your music in such a way, um, you know, where it was broadcast to the nation. I think that that's also such a huge highlight of your career as well, being able it to is. cross I over. I think we were. There was a, uh, a feeling of slight trepidation in that we were coming to America the home of rock and roll, the home of the blues, the home of jazz, the home of soul. We were coming here and playing our music. And remember, six months earlier, we'd just been playing local gigs in Hertfordshire, where we came from. Had a hit record, and here we are suddenly playing in New York. And I think we were a little concerned, for one thing, how the other artists would react to us but also, of course, how the audiences would react to us. But the artists were really supportive, and um, uh, there was quite a, a backstage bond because we were all away from home over Christmas. We opened on Christmas Day. I mean, the others probably could get home at some point, but yes. obviously we, we couldn't. Um, but there was a really good feeling backstage, and it was absolutely sold out, and the audiences loved all the acts including us. Yeah. So uh, I, in, um, in the Murray Lecay show, we had to follow Patti LaBelle, and in those days, oh. she was part of a group. It was Patti LaBelle and the yeah. Bluebell, mm. and they were extraordinary. They were really good, and we had to follow them. <laughs> and I, Hopefully not I, standing on a ladder or anything. No, luckily... <laughs> No, it wasn't standing on a ladder. I'm very glad to report. Um, but we did okay. We did okay. I, I think I think that that's a that's a really a gross understatement. I think you did fantastically, I, and I think that everything that you brought was, uh, of course, so different at the time and different now. Um, is there still a, a band or an artist that you feel you have yet to see perform live that you would love to see? Uh, see one day? Is there anybody that uh, you would still seek out? I'd love to see McCartney play. Yes. I'd love to see Stevie Wonder play. Um, I mean, I've seen McCartney play as part of the Beatles. I've seen Stevie Wonder play in a little bar in Los Angeles. Oh, uh, but no I'd love way. to see him. He just walked in with some people and there was a trio playing and he sat down and played with them oh in a, um, a Hyatt house on Sunset Strip. But I'd love to see 
a full show for Stevie Wonder. Um, I've seen Elton play, but I'd love to see Elton again. He's phenomenal. I'd love to see Joni Mitchell live. I'm a huge fan of Joni Mitchell. So there's, there's three or four people that... I would really love to see play live. I can't believe that you were just witness to that impromptu Stevie Wonder show where he just walked it in. It was and... a bit mind-boggling. <laughs> it was in the middle of the afternoon. It wasn't in the evening. Oh, no. But there were no windows, so it was quite dark. And there's a hotel that all the bands used to stay at called the Hyatt House on Sunset Strip. They used to call it the Riot House. <laughs> and um, I, was, I don't think we were playing that night, so I was having a quiet beer in the bar and I saw him walk in, and there was a trio playing, and he just went over and started playing with them. Mostly he played drums. He's a really good drummer. He is. But he did sing a couple of songs. Wow. It was wonderful. I couldn't believe it. I was there yeah. on my own. I wanted to share it with someone. I wanted to say, it's Stevie Wonder. But I was on my own. And so, I mean, uh, that's what you get. You can't get an impromptu uh, Stevie Wonder show and have all your friends around you. You know, it's the one or the other. I think you've got a good deal. <laughs> I think, I, you know, if it was the choice of having my friends around me on that afternoon or seeing Stevie Wonder, I'll, I'll take the Stevie Wonder every time. <laughs> I, I, I just think he is absolutely phenomenal. I do too, especially considering how many people have been influenced by his music and pretty much everybody that you mentioned. I got the privilege of shooting Elton last year when he came to Chicago. And speaking about a performer, there's, you know, there isn't, um, there aren't many artists like him. Uh, and Joni Mitchell, as you say, you, you, you're naming icons that I think people oh, yeah, would, uh, you know, kill to, to see because they've changed their lives in some way or another. You know, everybody know, remembers that, a Stevie song that, you know, from a moment in their life. I know. That the, the artists that I just mentioned are just absolutely the top yeah. world artists. And mm. anybody, I would imagine, would, would give anything to see them play live. I have seen Elton. Uh, Elton has a, I'm not sure how active it is now, but he had a label called Rocket Records, and I was on Rocket Records. Okay. And as a result of that, I've met Elton and I've been to his concerts and they were phenomenal and I'd love to go to another one. You should definitely try. I mean, I'm sure uh, you can invite him to your Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction uh, ceremony. That would be lovely, wouldn't I'm it? sure he'd be there and support. I mean, obviously it's, it's cliche to ask if you're feeling excited, but do you feel like this is a very important time for you, especially considering the accolade that you've gotten now and... Uh, just the time that you are in in your career, do you feel like this is a really important moment for you to be I writing? Think it is. I, I, you know, I, I had this conversation with, with Rod Argent, and I said, you know, um, it, it's great that we're being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but we've got to be careful to not accept that as um, the height of our career. And, and in some res- respects, you know, the beginning of the end of our careers. It's 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 a stepping stone, um, and what we've got to concentrate on is what comes next. I mean, it, obviously, it gives us a, a bit more credibility, yes. more profile, and without being too sort of hard-headed about it, it's great that we now have that, which which will contribute towards our careers in the future. Absolutely. Well, I'm so I'm so grateful that you had this time to chat, and it was it was really. I know that you are a future inverted commas band, but it was really wonderful hearing some stories uh, from your incredible career. So thank you for your time and just uh, chatting. It's absolutely, it's a pleasure. Just remember, we are in fact an emerging rock band. It's just that we've taken a long time to emerge. <laughs> and, 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 you know, for us, it's all about the future. This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kibble, and we'd like to thank Billy Yost and the Kickback for our theme song, Rube, and buy their music at thekickbackband.com. Lexi Frame for the artwork, Daniel Brater and Dean Berger for the additional sound design, and the Consequence Podcast Network, where you'll find a bunch of other amazing shows.
you've listened this far, why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too. For information on new episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at TMBTGPod. And generally, just irritate everyone you know about the show. Thanks again, and I miss you already. Consequence Podcast Network.